welcome to another podcast at Swirls Got You Covered. We strongly believe in our community and finding support for all who need it, making this world a lot more inclusive. Hello and welcome. Today, Rachel and I are joined by Shana, founder of Let Us Swim, based in Florida. We'll be hearing about her upcoming webinar, Going Beyond the Label. We'll be finding out why she's such a passionate advocate for drowning prevention. Thank you so much for joining us, Shana. Absolutely. So, how long have you been involved in aquatics then, and when did you decide that it was going to be your calling? I grew up competing in swimming. I've competed in Germany. I've competed in Russia, Spain, Berlin. And growing up, it was just what we did. I never knew or realized that there was this whole group of people that looked just like me that had no idea how to swim. And I say that because as I got older, I realized black people just don't know how to swim. And I think a lot of it has to do with availability and accessibility and it's just not on the radar of things that they need to do so I've been teaching off and on once I graduated college I would teach kids here and there for free or adults how to swim just to do it never thought of it to be my calling or this is something that I'm going to turn into a career or a lifelong dream or a business So I didn't start my business until last year, June. And it was with the help of many physicians that I work with, two in particular, that really pushed for me to do it. And that was after we had such a rough um, month because literally every single day we were getting a new drowning. If they weren't a drowning, it was a near drowning it just was bad. We had three people die in one day. You know, when you start seeing them coming in and we see them firsthand, you ha- at some point you have to say, what can I do to make this different? And they all looked at me and they said, well, you know how to swim. Why don't you start teaching? Because I would always speak about it at work, you know, the importance of swim lessons. So I started doing my research. I started looking into what it would take to really build a um, business and teaching people how to swim, but how to lower the numbers. So I don't just target children. I target families because I think that, you know, a lot of times a parent tends to look at their kid and say, okay, my kid knows how to swim, but the parent doesn't. So my, my question is, so if something happens to your child in the water, what can you do to save them? Will that then be one drowning or two? And it hit me the hardest because my one of my good friends lost his wife and his child in the same day. So the kid didn't know how to swim. She was two years old. Mom jumped into the pool to save her, and they ultimately both drowned. So I have to, I feel that targeting families is what's going to help change our numbers. One of the things that is clear from your social media feed is the amazing work that you do with adult beginners and not just children. And we've seen that you've been chronicling their journeys across your social media. What message do you want to put out there to other adults who are too scared or perhaps too embarrassed to learn to swim? Swimming is for everyone. Everyone can learn how to swim. Everyone can become a confident swimmer in the water. Everyone needs to learn how to swim if not just to learn how to swim for safety reasons, but it can be also therapeutic. 
I've had many adults come to me and say, you know, this has turned into my therapy. So they get out there and they, they're able to swim and feel confident in the water. And not just that, I live in a, I live where most people vacation. So my, my question is also always, don't you want to vacation differently? You go on a cruise, you can't enjoy a cruise because you can't swim. You go snorkeling, everyone's snorkeling, but you can't do it because you don't know how to swim. So you vacation differently. You have to target their interests. And a lot of interest here is cruises and snorkeling and a lot of water activities. But man, if they can't swim, what happens when they fall in? So does Florida have quite a high drowning rate compared to the rest of the states? Or is it, where does it kind of sit? We have the highest rate of drowning across all 50 states. Wow, that's quite, quite scary, isn't it? Our number is up to 62. 63. I'm not sure. I haven't checked it recently, but our numbers are steadily climbing and we've doubled what we had from last year. COVID has a lot to do with it, but um, had these families been targeted last year, maybe they wouldn't have been a part of the issue this year. Do you think that COVID has driven people to take greater risks with water where they haven't had access to community pools and things that have been closed, they've decided to cool off in, you know, open bodies of natural water instead? We don't have as many natural bodies of water or drownings in natural bodies of water as much as we do in pools. You know, you look at the numbers and 90%, I think, is the percentage is people drowned within 10 feet of safety. 10 feet. That's two of me. Two two heights of me. So you think of that and you're right there, but you just can't reach. Can't imagine the the thoughts that would go through a person's head if they they see safety right there, but they just can't reach it. And that's the thing is to be safe in or near water. You don't necessarily have to be able to swim 100 meters or 25 meters. You have to be able to know what to do if you find yourself in difficulty. You have to know how to float and you have to know that you can somehow reach the side, whatever that looks like, that you can get there safely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of my main things that I focus on in the beginning is making sure that, especially children, that they can reach the edge of a pool and, and climb out without being assisted in any way. I've had them fall, go into the pool. They have to go into the pool in full clothing, shoes on, because how many times does a kid fall into a pool and they're in their swimwear? doesn't happen. And I don't know if you've ever tried swimming with all your clothes on. It's pretty doggone difficult. It's not fun swimming with shoes on. I've tried it and I was just like, man, this is horrible. So I do that so that they know what it's going to feel like if they had to save themselves from the pool. and. They don't have the swimwear on that makes it so much easier to just kind of get through the water. But you have a lot of drag. So you have to create the drag, create the safety zone, and create reality for them. Learning to swim and water safety education are key in drowning prevention. And But one of the greatest myths is that if they can swim, they'll be fine. So what additional measures do you think should be mandatory to reduce complacency and ultimately drive down the statistics. Mandatory CPR senses some type of barrier between the water access 
and wherever they are. And I say wherever they are because we have pools, we have canals in our backyard. So those things need to have some type of barrier. And it doesn't, it's, that's not preventative. That does not supersede supervision, but it, it gives you time. Mm-hmm. Because what I've shown a couple families is that regardless of what you have in place, there is a way. And a child is going to be the one to find it. Most things are not childproof, but adult-proof. I had a child, we, we all went inside. I said, just let's see what this child does. And I told the child, go in the pool. The child found a way. They moved one of their little tight uh, benches, stood on it, climbed over the pool fence that they had in place, and was able to access the pool. When you have a child that can figure those things out, you have to create barriers, meaning more than one thing, supervision being one, a barrier around the, the water access, locks on doors that are higher than what they can reach, and supervision. Like Supervision is number one clearing out your pool, don't give them a reason to get in there. You know, if a kid sees a ball or a toy in the water, they're naturally going to want to go get it. It was an amazing case, wasn't there, Steph, in the UK, where a child, um, did they fall off the boat, Steph? I can't remember what led to the actual incident, but the bit that stuck with me is that they knew that they had to float when they were falling in the water. This is out in the open sea. And they floated for a full hour before they were successfully rescued. They attributed the success of this to the fact that the child knew if he was going to survive that he just had to float and wait for help. That's amazing. And those are the kind of stories that we all like to hear where a child just did what they were supposed to do naturally. You could give any five pointers to parents on how to keep the children safe around the water. What, what would they be? Supervision, having a designated person to watch the water, meaning no phones, no, here it's a shame, but we have to say no phones, no no electronic devices that are going to take your attention away from what you're supposed to be doing. So having a designated pool watcher is, is very much key. Um, and trying to rotate those often, just like if you were at a regular city pool or community pool where every 15, 20 minutes, just rotate that out. Hey, you're a designated pool watcher for this time and making sure they know that so that there's no alcohol involved as well. Creating barriers such as fences, locks on the fence, um, not just the door that can swing and swivel open. CPR, those are some of the key things that I, I feel is necessary. And then of course, teaching your child how to swim, not just how to swim, but survival skills, how to float, how to tread water. These are survival skills. Um, you know, some of the best swimmers I explained to someone today can become a drowning victim have if they don't have those life-saving skills at hand. So it's very important to know how to float, how to tread water. And not just tread water for like a couple of seconds, but you need to be able to do it for a minute. You know, I always, before a person passes through, they have to be able to tread water efficiently and effectively for at least a minute and not be just so tired out that they can't do anything. But I do swim to floats, treading water, floating, then going into a swim, because if you're in a larger bottle of water, you don't have time to, well, you don't have access to an edge, you know, and like you all know, we, we I live in Florida. There's no edges in the ocean. 
So we recognise that some communities are sadly at greater risk of drowning than others. We know through all our copious amounts of research that a person with autism is 160 times likely more to drown than the neurotypical peers. We know that 95% of black adults, 80% of black children can't swim, that in the US a black person is typically five and a half times more likely to drown than a white person of the same age. And these facts are scary. What do you think communities can start to do to change these statistics? Inclusion. I think there's a real issue with inclusion um, when it comes to water activities, water sports. One being the access to things like swim teams are just not there. And, you know, you can't just blame it on that as well either, because a lot of times I think we as Black people, we don't necessarily see the the true emergency in, in swim lessons. They're Here in America, they're so spent on sports like track, soccer, football, any other sport. But swimming is just not one of them. They don't see much of us. If you look USA Swimming on the Olympic level, there's 1% of us that are that are black. That's very small. So I I feel like if they saw more of us, more people that look like them doing the sport, they will be more apt to make it an issue, to make it something that they want to do. You just don't see it. When I first started my business, one of the things that I did was I didn't show my face because it's not typical for a black person to know how to swim. And that's that's usually the, the general consensus is black people don't swim. It wasn't until maybe a few months later I said, you know what? They need to see that black people do swim. Not only do we swim, but we can teach you how to swim as well on all levels and all different aspects, making it inclusive and making it accessible. There's a pool that I am now trying to take part of, and it's in the middle of a Black community, and it just literally shut down maybe 30 years ago for no reason at all. So you you have to wonder, why would it just close? So things like that happen in, in the Black neighborhoods is where there's no access to the water. And of course, there's also the trauma of years ago of what happened when we were here in the U.S., during the um, segregation years where um, acid was poured into pools in order to get Black people out. So I think there's a generational fear and a generational trauma when it comes to the water. I don't think that it's something that we were never able to do. I think we were born swimmers and we just never did it after that for obvious reasons. You have a conference or a webinar coming up soon going beyond the label can you tell our listeners a little bit about it and how they can get involved and what what they can expect to hear from it going beyond the label this is going to be my actual first webinar that i'm going to do that is going to be to the extent of inclusion because i do believe in diversity and inclusion but i also believe that everyone needs to be included and everyone of all diversities needs to be there. And autism children are the love of my life. And, you know, they're, they're more likely to drown. That's the leading cause of death among our autistic children. It needs to be accessible. Parents need to know the education that their child can swim to. Because like I've 
I always say swimming is for everyone, they're included in that. And I think it's sad that we often just, you know, not intentionally, but we disclude them. We disclude a lot of our special ables, children and adults from certain things because we just naturally automatically we go and say, oh, they can't do this. No, they can. They absolutely can. And they can become great swimmers. They can become um, competent in the pool to their level. And we have to make sure that they can do it because autistic children naturally like water. Like most children, they like water, but autistic are typically sensory sensitive. So loud noises, things like that scare them or irritate them. Underwater is quiet. It's therapeutic. They go underwater and they never come back up because it. they forget they have to breathe. And a lot of times, not only do they forget that they have to breathe, but they don't know how to. So teaching them those skills will save their life. It's also the, the pressure of the water against their bodies. It's like wearing a compression suit when they're in the water and it can be really, really soothing for for anyone who's got any sensory sensitivities or particular needs. It's like a magic potion, I guess. You know, it soothes the senses, it soothes the soul. Water's not just like that for people with autism, it's like that for everyone, but that feeling is amplified for those that do have autism. One of the key things as well that I really do want to mention is it it's not just people thinking that certain people can't swim or can't participate in the lessons. It's this unconscious, I think unconsciously we can teach in a way that is only inclusive of a specific demographic. So if swim teachers out there can adjust their teaching so that their teaching is more inclusive, being aware of meeting sensory needs, being aware of giving extra processing times, being aware of not unconsciously demonstrating stereotypes, then that can help make swimming a more inclusive place. I agree. Totally agree with that. I think we, and we all do it, you know, on any, on every level. I think once you become aware of these, these problems that you can then address them correctly. Uh, one of the things that here in Florida, as far as autistic and special needs that you have to do is you have to have a certification in adaptive aquatics, which I was very happy that built that in to um, teaching people how to swim because it takes a special someone to teach your autistic and special needs, special able population how to swim because everyone requires something different. Dan Marino was one of them that helped in pushing that certification through along with Nicholas Children's Hospital here in Florida. And I don't know if you know Dan Marino or the history of him. He was a, he's an ex-football player that has an autistic child. So he really pushed for the inclusion of autistic children learning how to swim in the state of Florida. Hopefully national, nationwide, they'll read through. Because we only, I mean, 
there's probably a few more, but you know, Steph and I know of Autism's Women Australia who are pushing more and more, and they seem to have a lot more people, don't they, Steph? Kind of instructors signing up globally, which is really great to see. And I think a little bit of COVID is making people look into their swimming lessons and what programs they can, because they've got the time. And, and it's like everyone's kind of stopped and. 2020 has just thrown madness at everyone and I think people have stopped and gone oh what qualifications can I do or what can I look at or you know how How can I upskill yeah and adapt and I think more and more swimming instructors or schools are looking at you know adaptive lessons and and webinars are becoming quite big now aren't they with and people are more inclined to do them I think I'm also running a, a campaign, I guess you can call it, in making swimming inclusive and accessible to all, where I'm raising $1,500, trying to raise $1,500 that will allow me to go and teach children who don't have access to a pool, but I'd be able to teach them privately so that all children and families, it's not just the children, but I'm teaching fam- whole families and families how to swim and water safety yeah because sometimes people's children can swim can't they and and actually as an adult they can sit on the side of the pool but they don't have a scooby how to how to swim or how to how to save And, and going back to my whole it's never too early to introduce the water safety aspect into swim lessons parents i think should be involved in those lessons too they shouldn't just either be sat somewhere on their phone or reading a book or not paying attention they should have the opportunity to actively participate somehow absolutely so that if their child or someone near them maybe someone else's child when they were on holiday got into difficulty that the adult would know what to do not just the children that were actively in the lesson I education. agree with that. Teaching, teaching them is key. Education, teaching them how to swim, teaching them how to do, how to how to react in a aquatic emergency is going to save anyone's life. Teaching how to be be proactive rather than reactive. I think so many times we end up reacting to a situation, whereas had we had the education, we could be proactive and prevent a lot of these aquatic accidents. Absolutely. It's knowledge though, isn't it? And Steph and I were chatting before and it's, I think as parents, as caregivers, whoever you are to a child, it's having that knowledge and knowing that actually if your child is diagnosed with autism, that you really should be putting swimming lessons at the top of their list because it's a safety aspect if that's not just for a child with autism but you know it's more crucial for a child with autism because they've got more chance of wandering and and therefore drowning and it's having this knowledge behind us and the understanding that we're not scaremongering we're not you know these are the facts this is life and that we kind of need to to understand how we need to or what we need to put in place for our children and almost coming full circle back to where we started facts statistics can be scary 
seeing multiple children come into your ER having been victims of aquatic accidents or drownings or near drownings that's scary it's traumatic and it's there and your choice with seeing these things happen is you accept it or you get up and you do something to change the statistics which is exactly what you've done absolutely i think we all need to be more proactive when it comes to aquatic accidents and prevention I love when I get to talk to people like you, Shana, because I could literally talk all day. And this is awesome, being able to hear other people with that have like minds and just on the same page with water safety and instruction. It, it's awesome to, to be able to communicate these with each other and hopefully just get everyone else on the same page. That's our plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're big on building community and the more people we bring together, the more noise we can make together, right? been absolutely amazing talking to you, Shana. Thank you for, you know, making this happen, for, for chatting with us so that we can come together and bang that drum that little bit louder and ultimately save some lives. Part of our mission at Swirl Global is to support our community through knowledge and empowerment. We also sell sensory-inclusive swim equipment. If you would like to find out more information on the Beyond the Label webinar discussed today, which will be running in April, you can find all the information on our website under the podcast tab at www.swirlglobal.com. Tune in next time when we chat to Joe McMeekin, child physiotherapist. Until then, bye.